Thank you for joining me for this episode of People Know Stuff. If you know stuff, I'd like you to be a guest on my program. Please visit my website and drop me a line. So hi, this is Deborah Buller, and I welcome you to my podcast, People Know Stuff. And today I am honored to have George Hairston with uh, with me. And George actually is an author as well as a very well-lived individual. And since my podcast is an opportunity for me to talk to people who know stuff and who know it because of their lived experience, I'm honored that George is going to share a bit about his lived experience. And let me give you just a little backstory. He's an author later in life, and he wrote a book, Black Excellence, Identifying Your Superpower and Becoming a Top Achiever. So George came to me by way of another person who said, this man is amazing, and I've gotten to talk to him in advance of sharing him with you, my listening audience. And I will tell you that he is truly a very thoughtful man, and his book he put together because he realized, you know, there's a lot of things that come with a life. You learn a lot of things and then you just take them to your grave if you never get a chance to share them. And so that's why he disciplined himself to create this book. Now, full disclosure, George is, didn't you tell me 80, George? 80 years old. 80 years old. And He was born in the 40s, and he was born in a a small town near Danville, Virginia, and he has really had an opportunity to expand his world pretty considerably. But George, why don't you give us a two-minute bio on the time that you joined us here on Earth and what what it was like for you and how you moved beyond Danville and and then we'll talk about you know some of those things that you you understand as a result of your 80 years of experience and you know they say sometimes people have they live 80 years but they've only lived the same year over and over again from my brief conversation with George I can tell you he has really taken advantage of every year so George tell us a bit about you yeah, again, uh, born in uh, 1943 in a small village called Cascade, Virginia, near Danville, uh, the 11th of 12 farm kids. And so we were tobacco farmers and uh, with cows and mules and pigs and all kinds of tomatoes and vegetable gardens. So we were really self-sufficient in terms of eating and taking care of ourselves. And all packed into maybe a four or five bedroom home where the guys slept in one area at the top of the house, uh, two or three to a room, and the girls slept in another section. So uh, the thing is that we were what you might call poor, but we never knew we were poor. (laughs) Because it's important for parents and uncles and aunts to keep telling you that you're special, that you're somebody, that you can be something great in spite of the fact that you are maybe barefoot or have one pair of shoes. And so I would encourage everybody to make sure that we adults continue to encourage our young people forever. 
somehow I didn't know much about uh, uh, college. I knew nothing about college. My sisters had gone off to Washington, D.C. and other places and had gone across the campus of Harvard University and other places. And they thought that me being a good student and being the president of my junior and senior class in high school, but always in trouble before then, that I'd be a good person to try to uh, get to college and be the first one to go to college in my in my village. Uh, and they bribed me and tricked me and, and somehow got me to agree to go for one year at Howard University. So, so let me get this straight. Your sisters knew about college and you said earlier that they lent you their vision, but they did I not did go to college? Vision. Yeah, that's, that's a biblical statement that says, without a vision, the people will perish. I did not have a vision. And I don't know how you go about developing a vision for yourself if you don't have access to no TV at the time, no radio for me to listen to, no newspaper or magazine. How could I just automatically generate a vision? I didn't have one. But my sisters had been at places and had seen things and seen other people and they felt that I could possibly do well in that environment and they encouraged me and begged me uh, to go. And so I ended up going to Howard University. And the uh, first week there, I was looking to run track. I'd run track one year at high school. And I went over to the coach and he said, so let's go outside and see what you can do. And he had a little uh, pop pistol and shot. And I ran the 400 meters with my street, shows on, street clothes on and shoes and everything. He says, how would you like to be captain of the team? Wow. Because of your attitude. You're not complaining. You didn't wait till you get the shorts on. You just ran. And I did that. And he said, how do you get your money? Are you here on scholarship? I have no money. He said, uh, would you like to tutor my daughter? Hey, what are you majoring? I said, mathematics. He said, well, I, my daughter needs tutoring. He kind of adopted me. And there are people out there in life, if you have a good attitude, if you listen, you appreciate it, they will pick you up and promote you. I became the military uh, leader at Howard University, the 2000 military cadets. I was the top uh, colonel for all of that. I became the captain of the team for that. I went into the Air Force in Nebraska. Uh, I became uh, president of Toastmasters there in, uh, in the Air Force. I became captain. I uh, came back and worked for Honeywell and for GE and became manager of their facilities. I ran the entire uh, computer facility uh, for the United States Air Force at the Pentagon. So that was another experience. And none of these things, because I was brighter mentally, academically, brain-wise than other people, is because I would dig in and night, day, weekend, sacrifice whatever it took to be excellent, as excellent as I could be. And that's the philosophy I carried on for the rest of my life, to be excellent. Yeah, I, I hear you saying that somehow you have this sense of discipline and it, just as you said that you don't create somehow, we don't necessarily create our own visions out of nothing, but they, we look around and see those visions. Where, how did you get that discipline? Where do you think that came from? I don't know, except possibly it was the elders, the adults, the coaches, the teachers who maybe saw that I was willing to work hard. I was willing to be, to listen. I was willing to be appreciative. And they would encourage me and talk to me and say, you can go great places if you work hard and you learn to sacrifice. And so for that, uh, uh, I would certainly would just decided to, as much as I like to date girls, I didn't date girls for four years at Howard University. 
uh, I didn't go out to parties and dancing. I wanted to go, but I knew I needed to stay in and achieve and achieve and do the best that I could possibly do under God and for my community and for my family and for my race and for myself. And so I just, just sacrificed myself, my soul, everything to kind of be as excellent as I could be. Yeah. And again, I hear where the coaches and the people who kind of adopted you, like you say, they gave you a vision of you can be great. And they also gave you the formula that, you know, you need to just discipline yourself and 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 stay with, you know, what it takes to realize the vision. So outside people helping you. And so I can see where you feel like that that plays well with your decision to write a book because you could be that outside voice for someone else. Exactly, exactly. Because again, the fact that people who are not related to me, not always the same color as me, some white Jewish people, some young white man I met back in Omaha, Nebraska in the military, uh, his parents had kind of adopted me as I passed through Northern Virginia. The fact that they all reached out and just put themselves planted into me, strangers to me, planted into me, gave me the feeling that I need to do that to other people. Uh-huh. I shouldn't just be 80 and head off to my casket, my grave, having not turned back and done everything I can to make sure that someone else who comes along is not encouraged and that I don't plant to them, that I don't tell them how to do it and how to set up a support team and how to sacrifice, how to feel good about yourself, how to have a dream uh, in spite of obstacles and, and, and uh, barriers. Don't let those things stop you from being great. So speak to two things you just said. How do you feel one should go about building a support team? And then how, what advice do you have for people so that they understand and practice sacrifice? Well, as I talk about in the book, as far as building a support team, the tendency is, is to always go to your best friends. Yeah. You think because they have talked to you and they will encourage you, they like you to say good things to you. But sometimes your best friends are not the ones that will tell you what you need to hear, the truth, the tough side the sacrifices you need to make, uh, the obligation that you may owe back to society. So it's a very disciplined way of picking four or five uh, people who are already successful. They are doing things. They have limited time, but you go to them and ask them and work with them and earn their love and support. And that's your support team. And you let them know, I want you to be as critical as you need to be. I need to know what it takes, even if it's tough, even if it's sacrificial, I need to know what it takes. Don't sweet talk me, right? And so I did all of that and as I went through uh, the military and came out and headed up the Pentagon uh, computer facility. And in 12 years to be a college professor there in uh, Washington, D.C. for Nyack College. And then after that on to form about four or five different small companies myself, including artificial intelligence, and to be a nationwide uh, motivational speaker. So those things takes a lot of sacrifice regarding money, regarding time and, and effort. And But again, 
it, it, it tastes so sweet as you get a chance to experience your success and that you continue to be thankful to the universe, to God, and all the support staff to help you to get there. You know, George, um, I think that people who are aligned with that natural kind of openness that yeah. you had, that 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 willingness to risk asking people for help, I think those people, you're reinforcing what they know. You know, I wonder about the person who is very different from you and who's very um, unfortunate. Do you think they can turn things around? And and what if, what would you say to them? Because, again, they don't have that natural personality and they may not have that natural curiosity. What what could you say to them? I told them, and I did tell them in, in my book and other uh, presentations, that you have to look at yourself as a complex being uh, that may have two different personalities in the one person, that you may be tugged in different directions. That so I saw myself as one side, my pleasure-seeking side. I wanted to have fun. I wanted to go to dances, and I want to have a drink here and there, and I want to go to parties. That's the pleasure-seeking side of myself. Then there's the other side that's much more serious. I wanted to be successful in business and technology and knowledge and everything else. And so even though it sounds silly, I put my side for success in charge of my side for pleasure. How did you do it? I, I just decided that I that your choices in life matter. They have consequences and impacts. And if I go down the side of making sacrifices and doing things, my track record shows me over the years, that's the high payoff area. That's the one that I get to places and I do things and I can share my uh, success in terms of money, support, encouragement. I have something to share. The other side, the pleasure side, the dance is uh, just another night. The parting is just another night. And so the, it's worth going with that sacrificial goal-setting uh, operating measurements. If it's not worth a measurement, it's not worth doing. Set the goal, Six Sigma-type goal-setting that I got from General Electric and Jack Welch. Do that side and measure your progress and be appreciative of progress. I hear a real big distinction, and that is in order to... Um, empower the um, achievement-oriented side versus the pleasure-oriented side, you need to be able to look into the future. And you need to go back to what you said in the very beginning, have a vision um, and be guided by where you're going. So that long-term thinking versus the immediate gratification the pleasure-seeking, immediate gratification. And so I, I hear something really important in, you know, a very tangible thing that anyone can do, and that is search around for a vision and let that vision guide your actions, knowing that it's not going to be immediately satisfying and hold that vision. Absolutely correct, because again, the statement we made earlier that you're alluding to is that 
the Bible in terms of a, a place of wisdom says without a vision, the people perish. Yeah. Then to get a vision, you just can't have it to be self-produced in you. You have to explore. And if you get a good support team, they will give you feedback because if you go on the uh, tool called Johari Window, there are places where you know and they know, and there are places where they know something about you that you don't know about yourself. And that's where they begin to say, what I see in you, the possibilities I see in you, where your skills are, where your interest is, this is what could be for you. All those things come together to be a perfect match of success for you. We see that in you. We see that possibility. That's a dream we see for you. And if you have three, four, five different trusted people that all see the same greatness, the same possibility, that all of a sudden you have allowed them to help you to form your vision. And once you get the vision, you can go to sleep and do nothing with it. Or you can say, let me turn my vision into measurable goals, tangible, doable, achievable. And then let me begin to measure my progress on an operational basis. And let me praise myself when I accomplish things on my goal path. Let me be proud of that. And let me praise myself. And, and, that, and that will incentivize and motivate me to work even harder because I know the pleasure is there. Yeah. And, you know, back to the the person who needs to hear this advice, but may not be as uh, it may not be as natural to their personality to go and ask others, you know, what you've just described, the Johari window and even assessments that can help you know what is the area of your interest, what are the areas yeah. of your skills, those are available. You can they take are. those online. Those um, tools are there. Yeah. And so I, I like that suggestion. Get some information. And even if you're too shy to go ask others, go to the internet and seek out, you know, self-assessment and then build the vision. Exactly. And, and stay with it and, and hold yourself accountable. But I think what you also are saying is ask others to be a part of holding you accountable. Build that support team. Yes, absolutely. They, they, uh, I always speak about having an accountability group of staff. Yeah, right? accountability partner. Yeah. I, talk, I talk about that and how important it is to have that. And to not take any negative comment or critical co uh, comments as uh, things that bother you or make you feel bad. Yeah. These are people that you are not paying necessarily. They have nothing in it for themselves. They're doing you the favor. And if they, three or four different ones, say the same thing about you, it's probably true. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I appreciate you being a... Uh, a support person um, by doing the podcast with me about things you know about how to how to carve out a path that will result in being your best self and um, and I think you know one of our huge takeaways is build the vision um, right. and thanks for sharing that with others and thanks for bringing what you've learned in your eighty years to the table. I I really appreciate it, George. You're quite welcome. You take care. Bye-bye. Right. Thanks, George. Bye.
Thank you for joining me for this episode of People Know Stuff. If you know stuff, I'd like you to be a guest on my program. Please visit my website and drop me a line.